Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've written a new book. It's called Dangerous Love, Transforming Fear and Conflict at Home, at Work, and in the World. It includes all the lessons I've learned over the years as a conflict mediator, a conflict professor, and an NBA draft analyst working with some of the top minds in the NBA. For the next few days, I will be donating all of my profits to my new book, Dangerous Love, if you pre-order the book at DangerousLoveBook.com. Peace Players is a nonprofit that brings together young people in divided communities through the game of basketball. They have programs in Baltimore, Brooklyn, Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles, the Middle East, Northern Ireland, South Africa, and Cyprus. They're an amazing organization. So go to DangerousLoveBook.com and pre-order the book, Dangerous Love, and help an important world-changing cause. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Welcome back. Aloha, Chad. John, I want to continue the journey with you through the 2020 draft. We talked about some really high lottery guys, and then we talked about some other guys that were really in the in the lottery range, in the mid to late lottery. I want to go ahead and sort of fill out the first round. You wrote in The Athletic about 20 being a bit of a magic number for you. Why, why 20? Yeah, uh, because most years, that's roughly the amount of guys who become long-term rotation players in the league. I mean, technically, it depends a little on how you define a long-term rotation player, and it tends to be more like 22, but as a round number, I use 20. And the reason, I, the, reason the other reason I do that, I think it does enforce some discipline, especially as you get later in the draft, uh, and you start thinking about things about trading second-round picks or trading up or you know, everyone gets all hyper during the draft, and then a year or two later, you can kind of think, look back and think, okay, well, I think we're guilty of some irrational exuberance there. So if you kind of limit your list, I, I, I think that helps really enforce discipline and, and make you focus on the guys you really like, and that's how you help decide whether, whether a transaction is worth it. So in my piece on The Athletic, I, I used our trade for the pick for Dylan Brooks as an example because he had been on my list of 20. I did, he, on our team's board, he wasn't quite that high. But, um, you know, when I was just kind of making that list, doing that mental exercise, he was – I think he was like 19 or 20, but he was in there, you know. So it was like, okay, we're at 45. Okay, like I, I'm definitely willing to do that exchange. So I, I think as a mental exercise, it was just helpful. Okay, we're going to do the same exercise today, and we're going to include some of my guys, and we'll, we'll end up, I think, talking through all 20 of your guys now as we go through some of this. And I want to start, you use this, this concept in your article, and I love it. Uh, it's, it's something that I've had long conversations about with NBA teams over the years, mock draft guys. And this is a little bit damning towards me because I do a lot of mock drafts and I did over the years with ESPN. But you have you have myself and, and others, other media outlets that are producing mock drafts and yeah. teams, some teams pay attention to those. Some teams completely ignore that. I know one team that banned all of their scouts from reading anything on the Internet about any of these guys. Right. And so. But there is mm-hmm. some sort of interplay between that. You're looking at those in front offices and, and sometimes scratching your head and saying, why do they have this guy so high and we don't really like him at all? Or in some cases, why do we have this guy so high and every, everyone else has them a little bit lower? And at least in, in my mock draft and, and my big board, I was trying to get intel. It was less my opinion than intel from around the league. Sure, yeah. Yeah. How much do you think that the consensus sort of thinking that that herd mentality factors into what teams do on draft night? I think it's it's not a conscious thing. I think it's insidious that it that it provides a uh, a, a peg 
where where people go up or down from if they like the guy or don't like the guy but it's hard it's hard for if you know somebody is the consensus number four pick it's really hard for you to rank him 43rd on your board right like people just aren't gonna do that so I I do, I do think it has an impact uh, that it kind of kind of sucks the evaluation toward whatever number that guy's consensus projection is at and people will go higher than lower than that but it'll be rare where people will just i don't know have have the consensus 58th player third or, or the opposite you know what i mean and maybe that's good you know there are reasons for that i mean most of the guys who are at the top are at the top because they're really good prospects but uh i I, I do wonder if it's if it's just too much of a magnet sometimes. Uh, by the way, shout out to my former Grizzlies colleague Stu Lash, who was the person who originally came up with the the mock draft guy um, uh, concept. Uh, it was I think it was. Uh, do you remember that point guard from Notre Dame? No, it was uh, Demet- Demet- Demetrius Jackson. Demetrius Jackson. That was the yeah. That was the guy that spawned all this. <laughs> yeah, Demetrius Jackson, because he had been like projected in like the top fifteen the whole year. We're looking at each other. We're like, "What? What is this? Why is this happening? Like how?" And uh, so, finally, Stu just blurted out, "Like he's a mock draft guy," and and that just started the whole thing with with us in the in the front office over there. So anyway, shout out to Stu. And and in fairness, the NBA teams that may want to joke a little bit about this and say mock draft guy or, or what have you. Most of the people putting together mock drafts on the internet are not professional scouts. They have not worked for NBA teams or front offices. Their scouting credentials are questionable. And, and you can even say that about me, right? I, I've never worked in a front office. I was never an NBA scout. I always approached mine more as a reporter who is gathering and collecting information. Right. However, yeah, and it's 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 different. Yeah, no, I think that's an important distinction because some people um, are putting out their opinion of the top players and some people are putting out where they think those players will go based on what they're hearing and what the those teams needs might be. So I think I think that's an important distinction. I do know some NBA teams looked at my stuff because it was helpful for them, if nothing else, to try to gauge where they thought relatively players were going to land in the draft so that, that they could plan around that, even yeah. if it wasn't so much that they were looking at our our board for guidance. They were looking at it more to try to game plan out the rest of the draft. But it can also provide cover because I remember the 2010 draft, for example, when Minnesota, mm-hmm. David Kahn, selected Wesley Johnson mm-hmm. out of Syracuse even though Paul George had been in the gym and had blown them away in a workout and much of their staff was pushing and begging for Paul George. And when the question came later, why didn't you select Paul George? He's like, well, everybody had Wesley Johnson ranked ahead of Paul George, right? If you look on your board, every board, the consensus board, everybody had them. I think there is that sort of CYA cover your butt strategy that can also come into this, right? I'm not going to select a guy that is in every mock at 10 for uh, over a guy that is in every mock at three, because that opens me up to potential criticism down the road. Now I know some general managers don't care and would could care less about that, but guys that are in the hot seat, there's also a little bit of pressure not to go too far out of the norm. And then you have this whole media cycle too, where then uh, everybody in the media is like, oh, well, they should have just traded down if they wanted that guy. Or that was a reach at that position. There's so much of a narrative and psychology that goes into the draft. I just always find this fascinating and the interplay between front offices and the media on this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially when you get in the, in the lottery, I think, uh, I think teams feel like they have there's more free like 15 and down. I think teams feel more free to just take the guy they like. But I think there's more pressure the high pick, you know, if you miss on a high pick, it looks bad. The owner's probably more involved because it's a high pick. Like there's just a lot going on once you get in those top picks. So let's talk about a couple of mock draft guys. You 
you talked about two of them. I'm going to bring in two more because neither of these guys were in your 20. And I've seen them as high as the top 10 on other boards, right? And so let's start with Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. I think he's ranked on the Ringers big board at like number eight. Didn't Mm -hmm. make your top 20 or 21, 22, 23. Elite shooter. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't he in your board? I um, so I, you know, most boards have him in the in the twenties. I think so. I I don't think it was crazy for me to leave him out. Uh, I when I first started watching him, I really liked him because uh, he can really shoot and he has this uh, toughness to him that that I really like. That you know, you just see him. He gets he gets knocked down a lot and he's not very big and he just takes it and keeps on ticking. And uh, I, th- I think that's something you can appreciate. Uh, I just think there are some hurdles. I think he's very much still a developmental guy. For how small he is, his handle isn't very good. He picks up his dribble all the time in places that aren't great and I, I think gets himself in trouble that way uh, and, and doesn't have an easy time beating people. Defensively, I think he's very vulnerable. He, he just didn't seem to be able to get into ball handlers and, and guys could turn the corner on him. Didn't have great indicator stats like athletically when you look at like rebounds, steals, blocks. So I think he's a developmental guy. He could make it, but I think he's more in that in that group of 12 to 15 guys after my main 20 where you're saying, okay, this guy definitely has a chance but maybe isn't in that core group of guys that I'd be willing to. And is it, so it sounds to me like primarily the concern is again, he's six to what weighs 160 pounds. I mean, he's small, right. And that's going to cause some problems defensively. And then as you talked about some of the things about picking up his dribble all the time, his handle or whatever, how much given the obsession in the NBA with shooting and the fact that he does project as an elite shooter, you know, he's got, He's got the quick release. He makes uh, shots off the catch. He can make shots off the dribble. He's an elite free throw shooter. He shot 89% from three this year. How much is that going to weigh in for teams that are hungry for shooters in a draft? That there's a, there's a few good shooters in this draft, but it's not like a draft that's loaded with them. Yeah, I just, I guess I have trouble seeing him get getting to the point where where you can really weaponize his shooting enough to take advantage of it. I mean, like a guy, we, we haven't really talked about him, but like Marcus Howard is kind of in the same boat, right? Where he, I mean, he is a crazy shooter, right? His range is like half court and in. Uh, but again, he's really small, doesn't, doesn't, isn't clear who he defends, isn't really a point guard. So faces a lot of the same issues. Now he's an older player than Tyrell Terry, so that hurts him too. But I don't, I don't think Terry's the only guy facing this. I think there are other small guys who can shoot in this in this draft who, you know, are probably going to go second round, late second, just because of the other limitations. Okay, let's talk about another guy, Kentucky. You know, we did a redraft a few uh, weeks ago where Kentucky had four players in the lottery. Kentucky players are always going to get extra attention because of how they recruit Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, I guess I'm a little down on him relative to the, uh, to the mean expectation. I, I just had a lot of trouble getting excited about him. So he had an okay freshman year. Like he's, he's pretty decent athlete, uh, able to move his feet and stay in it, stay in a stance on, on defense, like pretty, pretty good laterally, but a little undersized for the two, not really a, a point guard and didn't, didn't shoot very well. And there, there just wasn't anything in there when you went back through a season in his record where you'd say, okay, but he's amazing at this. There, there wasn't, there wasn't really any one thing that you could grab onto that, that stood out. So he was, he was one of the last guys that I cut from that, from that top 20, but I, j- I just couldn't get there with him. So let's, t- let's talk about what teams do say about him. And I'm just, I can't wait to hear your reaction to this. Cause you're, you're, you love these terms mm-hmm. clutch winner. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. competitive, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these intangible, intangible things that he seems to be a guy that can, at the end of the game, make plays, make things happen, that competitiveness, that winning drive. How do you quantify that? Because that seems to be such a subjective thing. And often, often yeah. our perception about who's clutch and who isn't, actually, when you kind of look mm-hmm. at the data, we're often really wrong on it. And so it is a very an yeah, emotional thing watching him play. And, sure. and, and that's when you hear people that tell me, scouts, that they like Maxi, they can point to all of those things and then they'll say, okay, this is the thing about him, that his, his hustle, he's got this knack for making big plays. Uh, and, you know, he's a winner. And this was... This was a big Michael Kidd Gilchrist, by the way, uh, talking point uh, out of Kentucky as mm-hmm. well, and why so many teams loved him and why he went so high in the draft. How do you quantify that? Because I, I, you take a much more analytical approach. You, I really see you try to strip emotion out of this process. What do you do sure. with all that stuff? To me, I, one of the things I am looking for, though, is indicators that this guy will improve and get better. And so that's where I think the background stuff is important. If the guy loves the game and cares and is a hard worker and all that, and I have heard good things on Maxie's background. So I don't discount uh, that's that stuff. Um, I think people can get a little carried away with the clutch and the winner stuff. Like that's how um, I'm going back a little bit. Like that's how AC law ended up in the lottery. Cause he remember he made all those last second shots that one year, but he like, he wasn't Johnny an NBA Flynn. player. Um, Johnny Flynn is another one, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think especially on the clutch stuff, I think people can get carried away. You're dealing with such a small sample of college games too. So I'd, I'd be wary of that part. And is this another one? This is another thing that you and I've talked about in the past. He's got a, a body and he's strong, but it's not clear that he has exceptional burst or, or speed. Yeah. And, you know, the indicator stats kind of when you look at rebound steals blocks with him, that would that kind of backs up that perception, too, that I I don't think he's going to be certainly on an NBA floor. I don't think he's going to be a remarkable athlete. But he can kind of look that part in in part, which is why, you know, we've talked about this with, you know, Stanley Johnson and other players as well. You could or Justice Winslow and like the guys that look the part physically, but then the stats don't really pan out that that whatever athleticism is or isn't there is actually showing up in their game yeah exactly and i you know i should be clear like i don't completely hate this guy like i got him 26th so like you know he's all right he could make it but i i'm just not as high on him as the yeah the consensus seems to have him somewhere in the nine to nine to 15 range in the draft I've also talked to teams that are all over the board on him as well. And it is Mm -hmm. interesting that when they're high, it is those intangible sort of things that seem to be pushing him Mm -hmm. up the ladder. That can be a dangerous one. All right, let's go to one that you mentioned in an athletic article. This guy was hyped by Sports Illustrated's Chris Ballard as a 15-year-old. He earned the nickname Mm -hmm. Red Mamba. And, and so this is another thing that happens when a player gets a reputation in high school, right? And they, on the AAU circuit, they get the hype as the next, you know, fill in the blank. Nico Mannion. Yeah. Yeah. Played yeah. one year at Arizona. You know, you were not impressed. No, and what's funny is the first time I saw him, I actually was impressed because he played in that Hoop Summit game in 2019 um, and was the best player on the international side. Uh, I'm looking at the box right here. I think he had 28 points, uh, 30 points. I'm and sorry. And he's an international uh, player because his dad's Italian. The, oh, the, the mom's, mom's Italian. Italian the, right. dad, the dad played in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the dad, I guess, played overseas, met the mom, and, you know, then – there comes Nico. So anyway, uh, so yeah, he, so he played on the international team, but you go back and you go back and look at that game. There wasn't, there wasn't like crazy high level talent in that game for, for a hoop summit game. Actually, if you go back and look at the players, 
who played in that game. I mean, I, Isaac Okoro will go in the lottery. Uh, I guess James James Wiseman played in that game. He will. Uh, Cole Anthony, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Tyrese Maxey uh, on, the, on that U.S. side. But not quite as star-studded a roster as we've seen maybe some other years. Uh, but saying all that, I mean, Nico was definitely really good in that game. I just – at Arizona, you just didn't – didn't really see that ability to to score at at really almost at any level. Like his shooting was a disappointment. Uh, tended to like didn't shoot well from three. Would turn down a lot of pull ups uh, and tended to drift when he when he took them. His release doesn't look great. Like it looks okay, and then really struggled to get to the rim and finish. Uh, and so you just question what his differentiating skill is going to be as an NBA point guard. I mean, he's a, he's certainly a pretty good passer. I don't think he's like a mind blowing passer though. So where, where is he, where is he coming up with his advantage? Defensively, he's not super athletic. I do think he can slide his feet and, and, you know, provide some resistance that way, but certainly not a, not a leaper or a disruptive defender the way some other guards are. So I guess I, I, I just don't know what to what to do with him. Like beyond, what, is there upside beyond being an okay backup here? I'm with you on this one. I think this is it is hard to give up when you have that early hype to let that go and say okay. In high school, he was one thing, but once you get to the NCAA and you're you can see that some of his the lack of the physical tools start to catch up with him. Now that he's playing mm-hmm. at a high level, he's playing in the Pac-12 now. Yeah. Those physical tools are if they're catching up to him in NCAA, he's in for a major issue when he gets to the NBA, where the level goes to a completely different level. And this this kid seemed to me to be one of those ones. And also, let's just say that the Nike Hoop Summit, which I found the best of the scouting events for high school players in those tournaments as opposed to McDonald's or the Jordan or whatever. I thought it was mm-hmm. the best of those because it was a real game. And there there, there was yeah. a real competition there. It wasn't an all-star game. It's still pretty spotty as far as track record goes of guys that showed really well at the Nike Hoop Summit translating necessarily to the NBA. It was a pretty spotty record. Yeah, if you go back and look at some of the box scores, it's kind of you end up scratching your head sometimes. And, sometimes it was true, and sometimes it wasn't. And practices, and, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes Dirk Nowitzki dominated, and sometimes Shabazz Muhammad dominated, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> and it, and or or Scott Labissier, for example, who was the who was the <laughs> yes, darling yeah. in that in that in that hoop summit a few years oh, ago. Oh yes, and that that didn't really <laughs> pan out. And I I just wonder too with with the red flags that are there for him. So instead of red Mamba, I'm going to nickname him red flag because there's, there's a <laughs> number of red flags there that point to the hype is going to fall apart, but you still see mm-hmm. him again in some of these mock drafts in the teens, early twenties. Yeah. He's not going to make my top 30. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. There. One more Jalen McDaniels. Played at Washington. Yeah, major yeah. major hype for him coming out of out, out of high school. And some of this was we love length in the NBA, and yeah. he's got that going for him in spades. And you know, toolsy, long, and then you want to project from there. But there isn't a lot of game that you saw in Washington or that I saw in Washington to go along with that. Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I mean, peop, I I do think somebody's going to take the plunge on this guy probably toward the back end of the first round just because of that. I mean, you, physically, you compare his up body to maybe like Jonathan Isaac, um, just uh, skinny but uh, tall, long arms, can handle the ball a little. Uh, so maybe like a guy who can play three or three four, has some shot blocking skill, but. Really, a, a very disappointing season at Washington. Uh, like he just like even for a college player, he just wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, offensively, had a lot of trouble beating people 
off the dribble. His shooting, like he shot 32% on three and 76 from the line, which is looks okay. Watching him like shoot before games, I saw Washington in person a couple of times. I I don't even know if he can consistently do that. I it just just looked all over the place. And uh, then there's some other issues with him, obviously with all the technical fouls and what might be going on with him with that. I, I just think there's a lot of question marks here. Again, that there are only so many people in the world with bodies like this. And so I think somebody is going to, is going to decide the risk reward on this is worth it. And part of me gets that because the draft is about the right tail is, is the way I put it. That, you you want to you want to hit on the on the small chance of upside as opposed to what the what the 50th percentile outcome is because for most guys it's going to be an outcome that doesn't really move the needle for you and so i i i understand that mentality but i think the the fail potential here is pretty high and in your experience you know i was asked on the rejecting the screen podcast you know, after age, what is the, you know, the big factor? And I think for, for years, the next thing that could become a disqualifying factor or get you hyped or moved up was length. That was just a, a something that that teams looked at. If you had short arms, it hurt you. Didn't regard, didn't matter yeah. what your game was. It hurt you. If you had really long arms and you were, you were really long, it, it moved you up the board. And I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. in does, does the analytics pan out? Like, is it, there's is that there, real? There is some, there is some predictive value, but it's not great. I mean, how, how you actually play basketball is massively more predictive than how long your arms are. Let's put it it's that It's really way. funny because I, I, I agree with you. If there's a lesson I've learned over the years is the first question you should ask is, if, are they a good basketball player? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works. Right. <laughs> and, but it, but it's so but there's a lot of good basketball players. I think that's part of it is there's a lot of good basketball players and so and a lot of good basketball players that just aren't going to make it in the NBA for other reasons. And so you're looking at those other yeah. things that give players edges and and length is one of them. Speaking of length, I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go yeah, I'm going to go with the raspberry chocolate cream okay uh sorry john uh first of all the bar tastes great it's creamy it's soft it essentially tastes like i'm eating a piece of c's candy but it's low in sugar it's got high protein it's it's an energy bar it's it's not a candy bar john it just it just tastes like one i've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. But I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft and there's no high sugar content or chalky, bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars you want, John, in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code locked on. Use promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Locked on. $10 off at builtbar.com. Next time we can take a little break together and you can enjoy your built bar while I enjoy mine. NBA Big Board and Locked On Podcast Network, brought to you by Built Bar. We just went over mock draft guys with John Hollinger, guys that are higher on internet mock drafts than they are in his board and, and talked about some of those reasons why. Now we're going to go to a few guys that are high on your board that we haven't talked about yet. 
one of them that I'm also very, very excited about as well. Aaron Neesmith. Okay. Yeah. He's 11, I think, on your yeah. board. Uh, yes. Yes. I, uh, you know, you talk about people want shooting. Well, the, I mean, the, this is why I moved him where he, where he did. Because I think one of the distinctions is not just guys who can shoot, but that guys who can shoot on the move. Guys who can shoot coming off screen, running one way, and just quickly turn their body and shoot it going the other way. I thought, like, when I watched Tyler Hero at Kentucky last year, I thought that was the thing that differentiated him and, and made him a good pick, was that he had the ability to shoot on the move really well. And Neesmith clearly has that. I mean, you, you see him just come right off screens, just the footwork is perfect, just lets fly, perfect parabola into the bottom of the net. Now, is he going to shoot 52% from three over a larger sample? Probably not. I mean, he didn't shoot that well as, as a freshman, but he shot threes at a really high rate uh, on a bad team where defenses were keying yeah, on He took him. 115 threes, and, and so he, he was shooting, shooting the rock. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And his, his, so his season was ended early by a broken foot. And I guess in, in my experience, that's, that's just not a killer for a player's draft stock, uh, especially the first break. I, it, it would be hard for me to see that really pounding his draft stock. Just, just knowing what I know about how the, uh, the, the medical on this and, and how it's, you know, have, having gone through this a few times. So I, I, I think he'll be okay that way. Now, is he, uh, does he have questions? Sure. I mean, he, when he puts it on the floor, like the other four players can, can just like run and hide. It's a little tunnel vision there. A <laughs> little bit, little bit of tunnel vision there. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Did he have teammates that were worthy to pass to? Well, I, I mean, he had one or two. I, I mean, Saban Lee was pretty yeah. good. Right. But I, you know, it, it was not a good team, but it, he also definitely missed some open men. And uh, so he, he needs to, he needs to get better at that. Uh, but a good leaper, like he can rebound. He can do some things defensively. I don't think he's great, but like he's, he's good enough. He's got good size. He can move around a little. I think he'll be fine on that end. I don't he's not going to be a stopper or anything, but the reason you have him on the court is, is for the impact of his shooting and the way that can open up the floor for everybody else. So the the way the league is valuing shooting now, yeah, I I think he is a late lottery pick. Compare him to a guy that actually had a really great career, Glenn Rice. Oh, interesting. I mean, Glenn, Glenn Rice was really big. That's probably the one difference here. I mean, it's Neesmith has nice size for a wing, but Glenn Rice was like six nine, right? Like he he was big, and I, I think that's probably the the biggest difference between the two. I think Neesmith is actually more comfortable shooting like coming off a curl or off a screen and the and the footwork with that rice really wanted to catch the ball kind of facing the basket more or take take one dribble and just shoot right over you which i don't think Neesmith is going to be as good at but uh that that smooth jumper though is kind of that that's that's the one thing they really have in common yeah it's beautiful i really like him look he scored 23 points a game he's he's a scorer i think you know what you get when you get him is he's gonna put the ball in the basket and he's gonna let it fly he's got great length as well he's got a 610 wing yeah and uh you know it, it makes me makes me lament uh that we're not having a combine this year so we can get these numbers a little more officially but yeah he does i mean just watching the tape it did seem like his his length was satisfactory at least if not plus and he didn't seem like he is i don't think he's going to be an elite defender or great defender i wouldn't call him like a three and d guy but but he's he holds his own a bit on the on the defensive end. He seems like he's an intelligent defender. Yeah, he he wasn't getting lit in the tape I saw. You know, he he and he doesn't he just needs to be average, right? right? I think I think he can get there. Okay, I have him really exactly where you do uh, on my board, and even think that maybe he he's also a guy that if workouts ever happen, and I'm not sure they will. He seems like the type of player that could get teams really excited in workouts because of that, that, that shot. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about Sadiq Bay. Yeah. Okay. Are you, are you a Sadiq Bay guy? He's a guy. I think you may have made this point as well. I don't see big high ceiling with him, but I also see, 
a, a fairly high floor. He seems like just one of these glue sort of guys, you know, three and D guy that's going to make his way in the league, not be a star. Maybe he's a rotation guy, but I, I just see him having a role and a fit in the league for the, for the shooting, for yeah. the hustle, play some defense. Yeah. I, I was kind of down on him until I went back through his defensive tape. He, he's really good. Like he, he guards uh, small guards all the time and they never get anywhere against him. And he's able to stay in front of him, just use his size and, and swallow them up. Even though he doesn't have those great like block steal numbers. Exactly. Exactly. He's not disruptive in this, in the, in that sense, but he, he stops guys from scoring, which is the name of the game. Right. So I, I think he can be effective defensively because he mo- he's big and he moves his feet really well. And then at the offensive end, his, his shooting this year from three was probably an outlier uh, based on what he did the previous year and his free throw mark. But I think he's a good shooter. He's got a low release, but he's big and he gets it away quickly. So I think he'll be able to get it away at the pro level. And, uh, you know, he'll be able to space the floor and do that. He has a little bit of ISO game to him where if he gets a switch, he can shoot over guys. But I don't think that's going to be a thing that he goes to very often as a pro. I think he's mainly going to be the guy they put in the corner and say, you stand here, wait for James Harden to zip a pass. And take the three and we can switch you on multiple guys defensively. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I think in a, in a, in a modern NBA scheme, he's very easy to slot into uh, a role and and potentially play a lot of minutes. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's I think he's a good chance to to stick. I have him seventeenth. Uh, you know, I, I there are other guys that I just see more upside that you could potentially hit on that it's tough to ignore. But at some point, there's there's a decent value proposition. I think there is too, and he seems to me to be one of the safer players in that range that we're talking about where it's, it's a little bit hard to see if a team uses him right, how he fails in the league. Yeah, that's the, the I, I think that's accurate. Now, is he going to be a guy who gets a, you know, eight figure second contract? Probably not, but you know, we'll see. Okay. Let's, let's talk about another guy that brings it defensively, but then on the offensive end, it's a massive, massive trade-off. You're going to have precious Achua. Yes. Precious. Yes. Yeah, so now he was at the hoop summit last year and we, we saw the same things at the hoop summit where uh, offensively, like he's just going to put his head down and shoot it. And he's not a great shooter and doesn't make great decisions on the ball. So that can generate some real problems. We saw it at Memphis this year too, where he was able to make up for that is his motor just as, as I kept watching him, uh, I got to appreciate more just his motor just keeps going and you'll get a rebound. He can, he can grab and go. He runs the floor hard. He, he rebounds at a really high rate, especially if you're going to play him at four or three. Uh, Cause he, re- he rebounds like a five basically. Um, good athlete can get somewhere off the dribble. Like if he has a real mismatch, he can, he can beat a guy off, off the dribble but I'm, I'm not sure how often you're going to want to do that in a pro game. He definitely needs to shoot the ball better. But I, I just think that energy rebounding, and there's still some upside there, even though he's he's an older freshman, I should point that out, because he's, he's already 20, I think. But I think there's enough there to like. He was, he was the last guy I had in my 20. He is all over NBA boards. I've seen him as mm-hmm. high as 10. I've seen him in the 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about talking to NBA teams right now. And sure. I think it's a little bit about that 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 cost benefit, right? Like we can I think the potential to see him play defense right now in the NBA to be able to come in and that can earn him minutes in the league, but whether his yeah. offense comes around. And a lot of that is again feel for the game. He doesn't know what a great shot is. Uh, he, I think he thinks he's better offensively than he actually is. So will he buy into a role in the NBA where they're not asking him to, to create and, and do things offensively or, or will he develop that part of his game? I think those are the big question marks right now. And then just how much do you value a guy that I think is going to be able to defend multiple positions in the NBA? And, and I I actually think you can play the five in the league. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe not against starters, but against second unit fives, I think he can. And that multi-positionality 
was ultimately the thing that made him. He was the last guy I had in my 20. And that, that was the thing that put him over the top for me. And I do think there's a decent chance that's where he gets drafted or higher. Because if you, if you go through and look, Chad, like it's not a great draft for fours and threes. So I think that's going to help. Yeah, him too. and he's got a 7-2 wing. He's going to probably have a pretty high standing reach. And, you know, you look at guys like Montrezl Harrell who are able to play, you know, five in the league at times and, and, and even smaller. And so I, I, I see him. I see the fit. It's just a big, big question mark. I think people that have him in the top 10 are projecting something offensively that I'm dubious about that he's going to get. Uh, I would I would agree with you. I think I think that's an unlikely outcome. <laughs> Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. NBA Big Board and the Locked On Podcast Network brought to you by Built Bar. And I'm going to talk finally about a couple of your sleepers. Guys that mm-hmm. didn't make your top 20, but that, that you mm-hmm. liked. And want to start mm-hmm. with Desmond Bain. Yes. Yeah, TCU. Uh, wasn't really on the... Uh, national circuit so much because TCU didn't have a great team this year, but he had a good year. Uh, he can really shoot. He rebounds really well for his size. He's a decent defender, uh, good feel for, uh, playmaking and passing. Even if he doesn't have a great off the dribble game, uh, he, he can make the right play or make, you know, one, one dribble, make the right pass. So there's a lot of tools there for a high value uh, role player, and that's, you know, two and three. I think those, those spots, th- those are, those are guys that can get ten million dollar contracts in in free agency if they're just okay, just because ev- that's what everyone's looking for. So, I think he can deliver that. He, uh, he's not a guy who's going to be a super high scorer creator. He's got short arms. He doesn't, he's not super explosive around the rim. He doesn't draw a lot of fouls, has to settle for a lot of pull-ups. So there, there's definitely some, some things that keep him out of the top group. But I think once you get past that, his probability of being at least a decent player 
relative to a lot of these other guys makes him a pretty good value proposition. And just to be clear, when you have him ranked in the high 20s, I think this is the, again, there's that irrational exuberance around the around the NBA draft that teams that are drafting the 20s should be drafting guys that are going to be, you know, maybe if they do it right, the guy's going to be a star or a starter. But, and that happens occasionally, right? There's guys in our redrafts yeah. that have gone in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that have, frankly have gone undrafted. You had Christian Wood in your top 10 and went undrafted. That, yep. that hit. Yep. But for the most part, again, all we're looking for here is a guy that could make an NBA rotation right now. That's like the expectation for a guy like Desmond Bain. Yeah, and if you, I mean, certainly if you get a starter out of it, you've won. So, but even a rotation player, I, don't think, it's I great. think you've run it. It won it twenty-one, yeah. twenty-two. If you get a solid rotation player, I think you've won the draft at that level. Yeah, yeah. If you, I mean, if you look historically, yeah. So let's talk about another guy that you think might be a little mm-hmm. underrated that could be a rotation player in the NBA. Syracuse's Elijah Hughes. Yeah, this. Um, Honestly, this is more of an eye test guy for me. Uh, I just think he's got good size. He's a good athlete. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can pass. Like, he can do all the things that you want to see from a wing player. Uh, there's some some questions defensively because he's been in that zone in Syracuse the last couple of years. And those questions, I went back actually and watched his freshman year at East Carolina and I think there's still going to be some questions based off of that. Let's say he's he can really jump. He'll he'll block guys' jump shots, but his lateral quickness is going to be uh, a question mark. I think if teams would love to get him into a workout and and test that more, uh, so certainly that's where I'd be looking. If I if I was a team that had my eye on him, that was one of the questions I'd really want to. And it's tough to tell at Syracuse. Yeah, exactly. How well can this guy defend on the ball? How you know how. And how good he, can he potentially be at that end? As a shooter, uh, you know, his percentages are just okay. You watch him, he took a lot of deep he's got threes. Range. Had to take a lot of – yeah, he's definitely got range. Had to take a lot of shots that maybe weren't ideal just because in that in that offense, that's what was there. But then you looked, he get, like he had the ability to beat guys on a straight line drive with, with no – with no screen. And he, even against good defenders, even when you saw him against like Florida state or Duke or teams like that, he was, he was able to do that when they, when they were able to set up the floor. He, he operated almost as their point guard at times, uh, even though he was technically the small forward. So I think there's a lot there. And I, I think he's a really interesting guy. He's probably going to go in the second round. I, I think he's a really interesting guy for teams to look at. Again, the wing positions are places teams are always trying to fill not a great draft, especially at the three. And so I, I think I, I think Hughes has a lot of uh, sleeper potential in this draft. Okay, I'm going to give you one more guy. He played okay. at Utah State. Mm-hmm. Sam Merrill. This is like the, the ultimate Merrill. sleeper. I have a lot of ties to Utah. I get asked a lot about him and mm-hmm. BYU players and Utah mm-hmm. players and what have you. Uh-huh. Sam Merrill was fire this year for Utah State. Yeah, yeah. But you have this theory, uh-huh. right? About we've talked about this before. We talked about this with Larry Nance, like the geography guys. And yeah, the bad geography guy. Right. Yeah. That's definitely Sam Merrill this year. Um uh, you know, he uh I couldn't put him in my top twenty just because defensively I think there's too many questions. Uh but offensively I think he may have enough to make it even with his defense being a question mark. He's just really skilled. And the thing is, he's like he's a really good shooter and can shoot off the dribble. But the thing that impressed me watching the tape is he's good in pick and roll. He can handle the ball. He basically operated as their point guard. And never turns the ball over. And never, never turns it over. So he's just all good decisions. And again, those are the types of things you want from a role player. You definitely have to have to have somebody on him the whole time. Uh, you know, not a guy you're going to leave, leave open. He can get rid of it quickly. If he gets a switch, he can actually get to a pull-up three off the switch pretty reliably. And his handle is good enough that I think he can get some separation. So I, I think he's a real sleeper. I'm sure not enough teams saw him this year just based on the on the geography. You, you're not going to go to uh, – to Logan, Utah, to, to make a special trip for this guy. He's not in a Power Five league. 
Uh, I'm sure some people saw the tournament game against uh, San Diego State where he hit the winning shot, which probably helped him a little. But I, th- I think uh, he I think he was not seen by enough people. So I'm really interested to see where he ends up. And this is, again, one of those guys that, okay, you know, forget about length and all this stuff. It He passes the eye test and that he can just really play. Yeah, especially especially I mean off offensively he can he has all of the skills. So the bi- the biggest question mark is going to be is he just roadkill defensively or can he provide enough resistance that you live with it and keep him on the floor for his offense? Anybody you'd compare him to in the league that is a is a favorable comparison of somebody who could stick in the league? Uh Luke Kennard. Okay, Luke Kennard, who struggled a little bit at the start of it of the yeah, career, but, but like a guy who can run yeah. some pick and roll, can shoot it, and was know, drafted ahead of Donovan guard. Mitchell. <laughs> and why? Because he played at Duke and not at Utah State. Luke Kennard would not have been the 12th pick in the draft uh, had he played at Utah State. I, th- I think we can safely say that. Okay, John, this was super illuminating. Really appreciate your insights on all these 2020 guys. I'm sure sometime way down the road, we'll come back and talk a little bit more, but I think this gives us a nice overview of the draftable guys that could be rotation or impact players in the NBA. Everybody check out John's work at The Athletic. He's written up scouting reports on all of these guys on his top 20. The Athletic, if you haven't subscribed, is an incredible read. I'm a subscriber. I read it religiously. You should too. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.